Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham. Thank you so much for all your feedback on the last few podcasts. It's been great to hear from you. So many of you enjoyed listening to Carl Locko, the reformed gang member who is now advising on how best to fight knife crime. What an inspiring guy he was to talk to. Sounds like you guys enjoyed that too. So thank you. And of course, George Bamford, a name that so many of you will know through Formula One, the JCB dynasty. It was great to hear all about his deep passion for creating watches, bespoke watches, and his love of engineering and cars. He really was such an interesting guy to talk to. And thank you also for your feedback on the sound issues that we've had. I'm really sorry about that. It's been quite difficult because, well, I guess one of the joys of podcasting is that you can do it anywhere at any point. You don't have to bring someone into a studio, which always helps with guests who are restricted on time. But the downside to that is sometimes you get a lot of ambient noise, whether you're in a, a bar or a restaurant or a club. And uh, you get a bit of popping on the microphone. So uh, apologies for that. It looks like we've now sorted it. But yes, um, that's been part of the learning curve for me as a new podcaster. Um, But hopefully that's all sorted. But thank you for letting me know. I hope it didn't interrupt your listening experience too much. Okay, my next guest on In The Pink is Mr. Tim Lovejoy. Now, Tim, of course, created appointment to view television for a generation. Soccer AM grew a cult following over the years by celebrating everything that is fun about football. And it got me thinking because this week, whilst presenting the sports bulletins on Sky News, I realised that the first four headlines in football were all pretty depressing. They were about pitch invasions assault on a player, improper conduct from a manager, racist and bullying allegations about a coach. And I thought, God, that is so depressing when the sport we love is being profoundly damaged by a restless, aggressive minority. And of course, we can all have the debate whether that is reflective, indicative of a wider societal problem, and I'm sure many of you will agree that it is. Anyway, the point is, we need shows like Soccer AM more than ever. We need to remind ourselves that sport is ultimately about entertainment. So thank you, Tim, and Helen Chamberlain, of course, and all of those that have taken the baton and are still creating brilliant TV on a Saturday morning, 20 years on, so the likes of Fenners and Tubes and Lloyd and all the team, because... You know what, at the very least, it is escapism and something that we all need in our lives. So Tim also reflects in this podcast on all those happy years he had at Sky and recounts some really funny stories. I loved hearing them and reminding myself about some of the moments on and off screen. And then, of course, all the other hugely successful shows that he's moved on to. He also touches on some really deeply personal stuff with me, the depression that he has battled for years. Now, I know many of you will find that really hard to believe when you see him clowning around on Soccer AM, but behind the scenes, he was really struggling. And, you know, he had to really muster the strength to go on camera and deliver and perform. So thank you, Tim, for being so honest about that. 
and uh, hopefully your experience will help others. Sharing your experience will certainly give others strength to know they're not alone in this. So, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy, relax and give your feedback when you've listened to Mr Tim Lovejoy on In The Pink. Well, Tim Lovejoy, this is rather nice, tucked inside your West London home on a rainy February morning. It's finally February, thank God for that. Um, how are you? I'm very well. It was snowing, apparently, in the rest of the country, but it's just raining here. It never really snows in London, does it? I think uh, the, the smog or something puts pay to that. Too warm, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, tell me about the beard, because you did suggest that you were going to get rid of it, um, perhaps like shed it like a winter coat. <laughs> Yeah, I only I grew it because I work fifty two weeks of a year basically. I always have maybe a weekend or something off at, at Christmas, and I like doing my show, so I stay working on Sunday brunch. Um, and this year we moved studios, so we had three weeks off. We'd pre recorded some shows, which is unlike us. And um, years ago, when I worked on Soccer M, I bleached my hair, and I, I got, yeah, and I got a lot of I, bizarrely, I got really noticed, and it sort of changed a lot of things that I was doing and I'm podcasting and doing YouTube stuff now and I thought I've got an opportunity to do something and get talked about as I, I mentioned to you when I saw you the other night I, it's working I mean my god everybody won't stop talking about it and it kind of just gets you noticed however people are saying god you look old Tim <laughs> <laughs> but I'm actually not sure I care about that I quite like the idea of that I don't think there's anything wrong with getting old um you know, the alternative's being dead, isn't it? So so I don't mind getting old. Well, I don't know. Listen, blokes can always look distinguished and more powerful when they're older. Women really struggle. I mean, I would struggle with a white beard. Yeah, well, you would, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I was sitting next to a woman the other day. I went to see Heyman Soon in the, the um, Buddhist monk from South Korea. He did a Ooh, talk, so... I went, you. I went, well, I'd like him, and I went to see him the other night just to do a bit of a talk, and I was sitting next to this woman who who said in a conversation, she was lovely, glamorous, uh, older woman, who said, um, we were having a conversation about something, and she said, well, he's kind of our age, isn't he? And I went home and Googled her, and she, she was 60, and I'm, oh, like, and I'm like, the beer's got to go. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not her age at all, but that made me laugh. So, yeah. Let's um, cast our minds back. Because I think it was really Soccer AM that made you a household name in this country. You did plenty of stuff before, um, but it was that. What, why did? Well, tell me about the process, how that started. Because you were doing, um, <coughs> you were doing Big Breakfast. Were you yeah. producing Big Breakfast yeah, at one point? And then what was the lead up to Soccer AM starting? So I was producing, the, <laughs> I was producing the Big Breakfast, and uh, I it, it was a boom time of TV. Everything had exploded. There was yeah. things like live TV happening and. And I'd managed to work my way up in Planet 24, who was the production company, made it very quickly. Within two years, I'd gone from researcher to producer. And I just wrote to um, uh, Sky Sports and said, uh, have you got any work for me? And it just so happened they had a show called Soccer M, which had run for maybe one season or two seasons. And then they also had a show called Soccer Extra, which was on the Sunday. And they were sort of linked at the time, those two shows. Anyone who knows Sky Sports, they're very different shows now. And they called me in and they said, um, would you like to produce, we need someone with sort of this sort of flair for entertainment, would you like, would you like to produce Soccer AM and Soccer Extra? So that, mean, that meant for me it would be Saturday morning and a Sunday morning. And it was a pay cut from what I was earning at mm. Planet 24. And I sort of looked at it and thought, oh, well, I really like football, but no. So I went back and said no. 
and then there was a guy who we both know called Martin Turner who had mm. who had worked at Sky Sports for years and he tried to give me a break a couple of times trying to do different things he he sort of bizarrely said there was some sort of talent he recognized in the presenting form and he went and for some reason found out about me being there and then said to the uh, uh, boss at the time, Mark Sharman, you know that guy presents as well. So they called me back and said, if you produce it, would you like to present it as well? I was like, absolutely, yeah, 100%. I bit their hand off for it. And uh, so I took a pay cut. But that's how I ended up doing, um, uh, producing and presenting Soccer AM. And it became your baby very quickly. I mean, this was um, the show. Would you feel it? Would you agree with it that it was the show that made you? Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's where I, I turned up and I just loved it all. I I like the idea that football in those days wasn't uh, as it is now, which mm. is um, you know, so much money in the game and there's so much control over it because of the finances. There was still a lot of fun to be had in the in the game, and we just started messing about, having items and ideas, and in, enjoying it. And I think what the great thing about it was was we were the entertainment show on Sky Sports, mm. and the and the sports people knew how to the my bosses knew how to do sport, but they didn't really understand the entertainment side mm. of it. So they just let me get on and do what I wanted to do. And I think the viewers understood that we were experimenting. I mean, the show when I took it over was four hours long. Oh and my I, God. Yeah, it was four hours. Then it went to three, but um, four hours long. So we had to fill it with just stuff and in fairness to all the guys who worked with me we all put in a lot of hours mm. we weren't getting paid for the hours we were putting in put it that way but yeah. we just did it and had so much fun we had so many on-screen failures and the viewers loved them more than the on-screen successes and they I think you know I still get now people talk to me more about soccer M than they do Sunday brunch even though Sunday brunch you know absolutely um, dominates it in terms of ratings and stuff and it's terrestrial tv but soccer M was just people felt it was their show yeah. they, they felt like it they grew with it I was just about to say it was part of our youth growing up and it was just this cool thing that you put if you were a football fan or not like you could still enjoy the show and I think actually that was a, a real turning point in terms of entertainment and sport coming together I can't really think of anything else that was doing that to that extent no well I, I, I always loved football and I'd come from an entertainment background and, and I was just sort of trying to combine the two things together and, and it was just it was at the right time mm. Britpop and all that sort of stuff mm. was happening and also what was interesting was I was having to compete against CD UK and, and it was tough because they got all the acts on so I had to think, what are we going to do, which is different? So we went, right, let's all do all the bands, the indie music and stuff like that. So that became very cool and cult. And then I thought, we'll do the urban scene as well. So we had all the urban acts come on. So we, we were perceived as cool, even though it was because I couldn't get all the other people. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. <laughs> you couldn't get your Spice Girls because they were too big doing what yeah. not, not Yeah, but you, in some ways, um, helped discover some acts, didn't you? Well, so people were seeing them on Soccer AM for the first time. Yeah, I think we made the mainstream in a way. I, I remember Kasabian coming on and go, and just going, "I can't believe we're on it. It's brilliant." <laughs> they, and, and bands had started because I did it for eleven years. Um, bands had started growing up watching it, going, "Oh, if we make it, we'll end up on Soccer AM." <laughs> and then when they actually Amazing. turned up, it was it was really good. So yeah, I, and the, the thing which changed also along the way, I did a podcast recently with Helen Chamberlain, and we did it we did it via how things changed in football. Um, and when I first started, I could get Rio Ferdinands and, and Frank Lampards and John Terry's and stuff would come on the, the show and sit down. By the end of it, you couldn't get a footballer for love nor money on a Saturday. Even We couldn't even get... The, the injured ones were called in for treatment. The suspended ones mm. weren't to be seen on in the media. So we'd basically lost getting any of the footballers. And so I just filled the show up with... We could do it if we went to the training ground and filmed them that way or through their sponsors, but they weren't coming in live to the studio, so we just had to fill it up with Noel Gallagher's and Ray Winston's and people like that. They'll uh, do. Well, they did, yeah. yeah, and it just became really good in that way. Particularly if they are football fans themselves, which most of them were and are. Well, everyone aligned themselves to football. So we, mm. we, we, I made a decision at one stage that we would get people on even if they didn't like football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that if you look back in, in my time when I did it, there were some interviews where we didn't ask them about football <laughs> because we just, it was just stupid asking yeah. someone. We just asked them about themselves and then they, they just didn't mind coming on the show. Now, do you remember, and this has got to be 20 years ago, I get, would, would it have been 20 years ago? 15 years ago. Yeah. I was a soccerette on Soccer AM. Gosh, well, all the best people were soccerettes. <laughs> You'd never get away with that segment now. Yeah, I, do you it, think? I mean, it's no, a little it bit sexist, no. isn't it? I mean, we um, we used to come on and then reveal a strip, and I remember I wore Coventry strip, and the only reason I wore that was because I was friends with Dion Dublin at the time, and he was playing for Coventry, and he said to me, "If you ever go on Soccer AM, you have to wear the Coventry mm. shirt," and I remember you giving me a load of shit going. Why are you wearing a coverage? Because you knew that I came to Chelsea whenever I could afford to. I would go down and watch Chelsea. Um, but I remember then doing the catwalk thing with you, and I still can't hear that song. Dun, 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 without Gene Knight, Mr. Big Stuff. Yeah, it's, it is one of those things that I think people forget. I, I, someone did an article recently on lad culture, and I was, yeah. I was a, one of the pioneers of lad culture, apparently, which, which always amused me. I'd come from being on Big Breakfast where they started shoving Joe Guest who's a porn star and stuff on it and I was going oh god this is horrific and I'd, I'd ended up writing for Nuts and Zoo magazine mm. um, and when I wrote for them there was a no nipple policy and by the end of it it was just they were paying me a lot of money and I just I was like oh am I really writing for these magazines but we were trying They're both to... defunct now, aren't they? Yeah I mean yeah. god Again I... in this era well, this I, I... climate you would never get away with that iPads and well, boys are now. Oh, well, it's not. Boys but, are looking on their smartphones. Well, I was going to say they've got to go somewhere for it. They've got to get their fix somewhere. You know, 
blokes' tastes haven't changed, even if what they were looking for is no longer yeah. deemed acceptable. Yeah, but but when we did it on Soccer M, it was it was it was interesting. Um, uh, we were doing things like the topless weather, which was um, <laughs> a man. Yeah. We had girls jumping on trampolines, which was the boys dressed as women. So it's very camp, yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and we were yeah. we were also taking the mickey out of lag culture a lot. Yeah. And we would do the stereotypes all over the country. It was all done tongue-in-cheek. But now you look back at it singularly, yeah. the context. I mean, when I was in the... When I was in the uh, the the lockers, we, we used to call it, and catwalk with people, I would we would get the fans of the week up. Do you remember? Yeah, and that yeah. was the that was one of the reasons we did it because they were so bad at walking, they couldn't even walk up and down. <laughs> and their mates would take the mickey out of them. But we'd always do a joke, and the joke was always on me. Yeah. It was always that I was failing to ever, you know. And the the girls were always the the hero of it, yeah. all, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it was all sort of quite. But you're right. It wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do it now. But it was quite. I, d- I don't think it was as horrific no, as no, people no, are no. making and it, it out to it be. And it didn't. It didn't ever. It didn't feel sexist. It didn't feel exploitative. But I think it was. It was quite basic humour. But that's what made us laugh. But yeah. you know, I was laughing with you. I wasn't feeling. Well, I was in doing anyway. this camp walk up and yeah. down, and everyone was taking the mickey out of me for doing that. Um, and someone else pointed out as well the other day that um, what people forget about uh, the the Britpop lad culture era was that women were invited in Mm. to it was a man and woman movement Mm. whereas suddenly you had front women of bands justin freeshman and uh you know you suddenly had you had zoe ball and and, um uh what's her name sarah cox Cox and all that lot they were going out drinking with Mm. the men and they were going Mm. and women were started to started to say cool look at him and you know we want men and we want it was like we were all becoming sort of slightly equal then it shifted to being horrific sort of i don't know the lad movement sort of went in a very horrible direction but i think at the time it was quite funny and quiet quite calm I don't know some of the things I look back and I regret but then I always I, I always have to remind myself about things like the topless weather and dressing yeah. the boys up in drag to go no we were taking the mickey out of the culture so do you think what makes people laugh has changed or do you just think what's deemed PC has changed because we can still I'm sure there'll be episodes of Soccer M we'll look back on from the very beginning and still have a good giggle over. yeah but I think yeah. well look the first thing I did and this is well documented is I went in and became the boss of Soccer M looked at Helen Chamberlain and went what the hell is she doing on here why are we going to have a woman on this TV show it's about football right that's you know 96 well, you, you said that yeah she knows this 96 yeah. And then I met her and I started talking to her and I was like, oh my God, she knows so much about football. She knows so much more than me about football. I was like, this woman's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then I realised that she was a much better presenter than I ever was. <laughs> and she was brilliant. That show was yeah. Helen's show for yeah. a long time. And she used to basically babysit me through it because she's so, she's so good and such a pro. We had such a brilliant relationship. It sort of frustrates me now when they talk about women in football as though they never existed. Whereas Helen Chamberlain mm. in 90, I think she started in 94, was banging yeah. on. She'd done it in Nickelodeon for two years before that, yeah. by the way. That woman just loved football and talking about it. She loves her darts. She loves everything. Yeah. And it's those, they, people have just written her out of history like she didn't exist. She was amazing. What is she doing now? Because I mean, she was my absolute hero yeah. growing up. 
Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. I speak to her quite a lot. She does a lot with horses and stuff. And she's, right, so she's uh, just out of the limelight completely. That's, so, that's, yeah. a, that's is, a shame because she's is, a talent. Oh God, she's such a great presenter. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, she's, she's, I think they should have given her the football matches to do. Yeah. Like Kelly Cates is brilliant oh, at the matches, isn't she? So well. I love her. So think, but things move. And I remember the first time, see, people get, there's no context and people aren't, people aren't going back to the history and seeing how it was. The first time women were turning up to interview the managers. Their faces was... <laughs> I'm laughing at it now because I remember hearing the, the people, the, some of the managers going, I don't want to be interviewed by a woman. What the hell do they know about it? Now you wouldn't dream of thinking no. that, would you? No. They would, um, Paul Whitehouse did a sketch on it. Do you remember that? I think it was Paul Whitehouse and Harry Enfield and they, <laughs> they had a woman going, going, oh, what do you think of the game? And they were just standing there and, and then they wouldn't answer and the woman kept asking and then Paul Whitehouse goes, where's the man? <laughs> we, we want to talk to a man. And it's kind of, that's what it was like. But that, then. I mean, that is certainly, like, that would never pop up on a, on a no, comedy I'm sketch not, show now in a million years, would no, it? No, we used to be quite, uh, we used to take the mickey out of a lot of women's football and stuff like that. Now the standard's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, Christ, they're amazing. And the, the game's just moved on dramatically in yeah. the last 20 years and stuff. So. But that, that, the cultural shift had to happen in order for, the, I mean, because the talent, presumably, was always there. Like, girls can play football and they've always been able to play football, but they didn't believe they could. It's all about perception, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, but all the clubs started putting, and people started putting, women didn't want to play football years mm. ago, and then it's suddenly... Well, because we told we couldn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, that, that's exactly it. Girls were told at school you play netball and hockey yeah. and boys would play football and yeah. suddenly they can now play football. And so yeah. my, little, my little one, when she went to football club, there was as many girls there as boys. Yeah. So it's kind of the culture changes and I think people forget that in the context. I mean, I'm a, I'm a um, single parent and I have it the other way around. Mm. Every, every single step of the way for me as a single parent, uh, as a, 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 a man, I have sexism. Unbelievable inequality at yeah. me constantly. Like what? Well, just every time you get a, any ruling in a in a in a, in a court, it's always see. against me because I'm a man, and I have right. to just accept it. And right. even I, I, I don't really want to get involved in all that no. talking about that stuff. But even years ago, when I wanted to change my children, uh, the twins, they're 17 now, but when they were young, and I wanted to change them, there was no such thing as changing cities for men. I right. used to have to do it on toilet floors, men's toilet floors, mm. and stuff. That's how I had to do it. Mm. I didn't moan, but nowadays. I can't. I couldn't. When my, my my little one now, who's five, when she was a baby, everywhere you go, there's disabled toilets you can use or changing facilities mm. everywhere. There's changing mm. facilities now, so it's really easy. Mm. So it's, they've now embraced. They've caught up. Well, they've kind of embraced men in that in that respect. So it's it's changing. We're just moving forward. Yeah. What what I find frustrating is people are reflecting backwards and going, "Well, they're terrible. Those person." It, yeah. And you got to think about the context at the time. And, and and what about your context? Where where were you coming from into this world of telly? Um, your childhood, what was it like? How did you grow up? Did you grow up just passionate about football? Did you play a lot of the sport? Did you have other influences? Yeah, I grew up just. I wasn't brilliant at school. Um, I just all I wanted to do was play sport. It's football and basketball for me. Uh, well, that's quite unusual for a British kid to play basketball, basketball. Yeah, especially like you know 30 we, years ago we had a PE teacher who well, actually kind of basketball for some reason hit in Britain and um, 
it then went out, went out of favour. But we all, all the local schools sort of played it, and and I loved it. I ended up playing for the county team, and I played for Hemel Oval Teenies at the time they were called, and their cadets. I absolutely adored it. And then for some bizarre reason, being five foot eleven, I didn't make it. <laughs> that was a really tough one. That when they sort of just Aww. let me go from the cadets, but oh, they couldn't. I'm too short to play yeah, basketball. But do you know what? That's what I was think so sad because kids develop at different paces. You never know how tall you're going to end up being, yeah, and suddenly oh, you just stop growing. You go. Shit, is that it? Is that yeah. my dream over? Well, it is if you play basketball. Well, yeah. And it is, if, it, it is, it seems to be if you do most sports now. Um, uh, apparently, you know, tennis, good to be way over six foot. Golf, good to be over six foot. Rugby, I mean, they're all turning into giants, aren't they? They're becoming tall yeah. in every position. They're yeah. becoming, it's becoming a bit like rugby league. They're all becoming tall and stocky and wide. And it seems to be beneficial in football. Sadly, it's it's not done on height because the best player in the world, Messi, is tiny. It's done on speed, mm. and they're putting stopwatches on all the kids. I'm hearing, and if they're not quick, they get rid of them. So that's how the sport's changing in that way. So there's always a way. And basketball, I obviously wasn't that big, but football. Yeah, I loved playing football, and I loved doing all that stuff. And then I just ended up leaving school, working in clothes shops and things, and. I, I tried working in, realised there's no money, so I tried working in finance, you know, I think, I'll oh, do that. God, I can't imagine you doing that. Yeah, I did mortgages. What was that, things. really? Oh, God, how boring. Oh, it's, it was terrible. Ugh. And then when did you sort of get bitten by the television bug? When did you know that that was going to be, a, well, a viable career option? Well, it was just pure, I was lucky, it was pure desperation. I was, <laughs> I was like, what the hell am I going to do for a job now? How old were you at this stage? Late late teens and I was thinking right well I'm not going to be a footballer am I it's not, I, <laughs> it would have happened I, yeah I don't think that's going to happen and uh, what on earth am I going to do and, and I started thinking what can I do and I started touring with bands actually um, flogging t-shirts I was a swag man and stuff like that and I was working in bars and, and things and I just thought I started DJing as well I ended up doing a bit of DJing and stuff but I saved all my money and I used to um, make showreels of myself. And it's funny now, is that cause, because now if you wanted to make a showreel of yourself, you take a smartphone, yeah. go out on the street and just do it. Yeah, and, and then, upload it to your Instagram account. Yeah, yeah. and then edit done. it. It's done, yeah. it's done, yeah. And you can edit it yourself and do it. And on the software, even probably on the phone, you can do it with. In my day, I had to hire a cameraman and a sound man, and then I'd got the videotape back after, you know, that, and then you'd take it to the... You'd have to take it to an edit suite and pay someone to edit it. And uh, so I'd save all my money to do that. And I'd walk around London pretending I worked for Cable London because <laughs> Cable TV had come along and there was a thing called Cable London. No one knew what it was, but everyone had heard about it. <laughs> and we all knew that, that there was Cable TV in America. So everyone felt... You know, it's, it's a bit like if you say, oh, I'm doing something for YouTube. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, it's, everyone <laughs> says, yeah, yeah, it sounds, it sounds exciting. I don't know what it is. Well, it sounds... So I used to walk around, I used to interview people at film premieres and all sorts of weird stuff and people in the streets. Hey, I work for Cable London. It's a real lie, actually. And then, and then I used to get my showreel and I just used to send it around. That's how Martin Turner, the guy I was talking about earlier yeah. at Sky, had actually seen. So I, I became obsessed with sending showreels and pictures of me and I mean, it's embarrassing, the stuff I did. It's so embarrassing. I would love to see some of this earlier stuff. I can guarantee right now people are Googling you. <laughs> yeah, Tim, you Lovejoy, Tim Lovejoy, showreel, circa 88 or something. I, I actually ended up getting an agent, bizarrely. I was so pushy, and they put me forward for an audition on Blue Peter. 
And hang on, didn't you go back and get yeah, guest present yeah. Blue Peter? Yeah. yeah okay, so I sorry. went back. That there was a charity thing, and they said, "Will you come back and present Blue Peter?" I said, "Of course I would." Oh that was what, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I went back, and then it's really funny because halfway through the show, they said, "We've got your old, old show reel." And what was amazing about that is I'd actually, it was so long ago, I actually thought I'd made it up, right? I genuinely thought I didn't actually do a Blue Peter thing. And they've got this footage of me in white jeans, bouncing on a trampoline, the typical sort of Blue Peter. In drag? I wasn't in drag. On the trampoline? What? Well, you, you t- that's what you put oh, into yeah, soccer yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. So no, I was just in my white jeans and I was jumping up and down and, I, and there's this moment where they cut back to me in the studio and you can see that I'm not there. I've left my body and I'm... You, you, you must have interviewed people who aren't there and you think, oh my God, come back, come back, yeah, come back. I've yeah, interviewed so many yeah, people yeah. and I'm not there. I've left my body and I'm looking down going, this is so surreal. I did actually audition for Blue Peter. I'd forgotten all about it. And they were, the presenters were going, look, Tim, here you are. I'm, I'm I, had, I was speechless. I didn't know what to say. It was really shocking because I suddenly this the whole of my career went. I actually did from that moment. You know, I actually had a career in team. I'm actually on the show that I'd auditioned for and not got. Um, anyway, yeah, I can't remember what I was saying. Neither there, but, can I. I was but, enjoying it though. Yeah. So, so I just made loads <laughs> of show reels, and it was the boom time of TV as well. And I, they just needed to. I it lit honestly. Right place, right time. Nothing to do with talent, particularly. Okay. I, I've done all right, but it's it's you know when I went to Planet Twenty Four to work on the Big Breakfast, I just wrote in and they and they got mm-hmm. me in, and then I came up with a load of ideas, and they said, okay, this guy's good, and so they gave me the job, and then everyone just kept leaving because live TV happened. There was an explosion. Yeah. Like, no one remembers live TV now, but this thing happened. I mean, that had that had on it topless darts every night. Do you remember that? I, I, I vague, vaguely. I don't remember ever watching it, but I remember it, there being a thing called topless darts. Right, so it had yeah. topless darts. It had um, naked news or something, or topless news. It had a dwarf doing something, and it was oh, like God. it was like all these things. It's well, like, that reminds me of the word. Yeah, and they, that right. segment on the word where they said I'd do anything to yeah. get on TV, and people would like eat a pube sandwich and stuff like that. Yes, uh, they had someone snogging a granny or something like that. Yes, this yeah, is yeah. see, this is the where I'd come from. Yeah. This is the concept. So when you say soccer am and you look back and some, you think some of the stuff was inappropriate it was trying to take the mickey out of culture out of that, yeah. and then it sort of became a became a thing but it all exploded around us this is what was happening yeah. out there i mean chris evans was on tv naked all the time <laughs> do you remember that he kept taking his clothes off and he would like he would try and chat women up on the show and and paula yates on the bed being inappropriate yeah, yeah, to people because yeah. i worked with her on the big breakfast and, right, yeah. and the people and she would be saying this sort of stuff and you know, it's just it's, about pushing boundaries, and you know, that's being, what everyone we're was, all more outrageous. That's, that's yeah. what everyone was doing. They yeah. were pushing boundaries and pushing sexual boundaries mm. as well. That's actually a really good way of putting it. Yeah. So I, I imagine when I did the the, the soccer and soccerette thing at the beginning, I imagine it's like, well, if we get away with this, yeah. well, we, you know, what are we yeah. doing? Will, will this happen? And it, it, that's what was happening at the time. It was bubbling around. It yeah. was, it was, an, it was an interesting time. But boom time in the in the in the um, industry, and that's when you know I just kept getting promoted up really quickly. You would never get that the speed of 
Well, I mean, everything's changed now. As we've talked about with social media, it's just a completely different world out there. And the backlash to that with the Me Too campaign and everything else. But anyway, back to you and uh, Soccer AM. I remember Why? seeing your yeah, show reel, by the oh, way. Christ. It was no, great. No. I remember seeing, because you, you were determined like me, you used to send it all the time, didn't you? <laughs> You're no, like, oh you God, were. not her again. No, you did. You were always, and you were, you would do it. You were like, what well, I, you were, you have to do this, I think, because so many people want to do it. I, I remembered you very quickly because you were like, watch my show reel. And you kept going and you kept, and then I watched your show reel and you'd managed to get celebrities on it. And I was like, Jesus Christ, how's this woman got celebrities on it? I can't remember you had a rugby player on it and something else. And I was well, like, I do. Yeah, I think the one you're talking about was I had this idea that different people could teach me different skills. That was it, yeah. So Devon Malcolm taught me how to bowl a that cricket ball. Alex King taught me how to kick a conversion. And Jamie Redknapp taught me how to take a penalty. And I don't know how I persuaded them. I think it's because we all work for the same charity. And I just said to them one night, I must have only been about 20 at the time. And I said, could you, this is just an idea I've got. And it was, I mean, it was crap, but it was so badly edited. But I actually quite liked the idea of it, me going on a bit of a journey and being taught how to do things. But you've, I've always <laughs> admired the fact that you've been, you've been really busy. Like, and, and in the nicest possible way, you once convinced me to do a catwalk on a charity oh, yeah, I did, oh yeah, my I did. god yeah. right so you, so you say come and do this charity thing so yeah. I went alright and I turn up there and you've got the whole of the Irish rugby team and then you went and then they went it's, it was either underwear or swimwear yeah. and, I'm like, and I'm like Natalie there's not a chance I am going to get my kits oh, off my and you had all those rugby players there um, and they were so fit they were ripped and before they were going out on stage it was making me laugh so much they were all doing push-ups and that and their bodies were and I was was going I'm not going out there like that and you put me in a suit in the end and I did a suit and I was with a jockey what jockey was that? God, that's so true. So we did it. We did one raising money after the tsunami. It was called Aura of Asia. And then we did one for Jared Cunningham, who's a friend of mine who died of motor neuron disease. But I did love doing kind of events and stuff and doing productions. I think it comes from childhood of being like, Mum, I've got this performance to show you. There was always a performance. But I remember being there. Thank you for doing it. It was a pleasure. But I remember remember being there thinking, why am I here? (laughs) And I thought, she's done well convincing me to come here because I really don't want to be here. It was like, I I was... It didn't show. It didn't show. so out of my depth. No. Those guys, their bodies are amazing, Uh, aren't they? I don't remember. Obviously, I I can only remember you. Um, So when you did choose to leave soccer am yeah why then after 11 years and and it was kind of weird because you left and helen didn't and it felt strange for the viewers because suddenly this was like rich and judy and yeah this is this was tv's golden couple splitting up there's those kind of many sort of different reasons um for it but one of the main ones was trying to keep the team together and they were all getting itchy feet they were they were just sort of being paid as researchers and producers and they were actually on tv as characters yeah, yeah, the, yeah, i mean yeah. the, the country had started knowing them as yeah. com- comedy characters uh, I'm, not, I'm not just saying this but li- people in the industry were looking at them as though they were actors and they were earning poor money and they were yeah. we'd, we'd gone from just trying to nick a few gags out of the papers and to actually writing material and we sat writing and you know and there was uh, acting and doing little sketches and putting together items and we'd done a lot and, and they were getting all cold feet about well they were just, not cold feet so they just wanted money and mm. I'd, I'd sort of broached the subject a lot with Sky at the time and I'd said 
can we start working out their pay structure? Yeah. Because I really, the show needed to be reinvented again. Mm-hmm. And they were, and they were the stars of the show in they a way. Were, you, they'd yeah. be, they, you'd created that, um, but yeah, as you say, probably not reflective of a run or a researcher's pay packet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it was just coming to that stage where I just, it just all got on top of me really. Cause I was like the show need, it's really hard. People forget this, but we reinvented that show two or three times yeah. uh, in the 11 years and we kept changing kept it. Evolving, and, yeah. yeah. We kept, yeah. we kept it evolving and stuff like that. And, and, and we had to do it again and the guys were getting itchy feet and I was just like going, oh, I can't keep this lot together. They kept asking me, can we get a pay rise? You know, and they, they were starting to have families and kids and mm. their salaries were, were terrible. And so I sort of got this opportunity to start doing something online. And I, by the way, before that, I'd sort of said to, to Sky, is there any chance we could take over the online stuff? Because mm. if we did the online, then we could maybe generate money that way. And they didn't want, they weren't interested in that. They wanted to keep it all together, as I kind of understand, under the sky umbrella and mm. not let us go off and just try and create content ourselves. So I went off and opened up a company doing online um, content uh, with Simon Fuller, mm. who I'd become friends with. And we all went off and did that. Uh, and it was just really good fun, though. We never it obviously had to close down. We spent a lot of money. We would, everyone says, we're before, you know, if it was going now, it would generate yeah. money, yeah. but it was before its time. Maybe it was, but, uh, but yeah. Any we tried regrets to about leaving Soccer AM or was it, did it come to a natural end, do you feel, for you? Because it kind of, it, I mean, like, they're doing well now and it's it reinvented itself again, but there was a while where it was kind of yeah. maybe in no man's land slightly because it felt like it was your show and you'd gone. What, what I miss most is sitting down with uh, Fenness, who presents it now, uh, Sheephead, and all the guys, Robbie and Neil. I, I love sitting down and writing material with them and just laughing and going, are we going to do this? This is funny. And yeah. anything like Yorkshire News. or yeah. anything, and, and so many people, so many of those guys came, came up with it. It was, it was such a... A big effort from everybody. It wasn't just one of us who was writing all the material. Everybody was joining in. We had amazing, I mean, they were hard work, but amazing meetings where we'd try and write comedy for the show. And and I just, I really miss creating it all. I was just telling someone the other day on a podcast, one of my podcasts that I was doing that, um, I remember there was, Leeds United had written, you know, everyone started sponsoring their grounds and Leeds United I think it was Leeds. They'd put Lurpak on their stairs all the way, the, the, the logo for Lurpak, the butter. And um, Neil, I think it was Neil, he came over and said, you know, um, Leeds United have got butter on their stairs. Don't you think we should contact them and the, uh, and the Football League to find out um, about health and safety? <laughs> and just that makes me laugh so much. And I was like, a- absolutely brilliant. So we wrote to Leeds United and we wrote to the the league saying are you aware that Leeds have got butter on their stairs and this is a healthy safety issue you know and the, and what's funny about it is they got Soccer M so they'd write back and go yeah, yeah well, we're aware of it and yeah. so, stuff like that but it's just funny that they've got butter on their stairs <laughs> I love all that stuff what, what was your yardstick as to whether something made the cut for the show was it how much you laughed in that room together how much because sometimes I just get the giggles and then once I'm out of the production meeting I go it's probably not funny to yeah. anyone else. Was yeah. it, did, did any jokes kind of fall flat because there was no. just a bit of an in-joke with you two? Or I, think people like the, I think people like the in-jokes. Well, they felt part of the gang, didn't they? I think the viewers felt like they were part yeah. of your little posse. 
if you if you listen to the podcast I did with Helen Chamberlain recently on, on my podcast, she starts reminding me of some of the mental crap that we used to come up with, and she would she'd say. She, she was saying something like, I remember sitting in a meeting thinking, so, right, so we're going to have Kinky D, Kinky D and Elton John, and we're doing this, and we're going to try and sell T-shirts. Like, Why are we doing this? Well, let's just go with it. <laughs> and we did. And, oh, that was it. And David Furnish would come in behind, and he'd be jealous of Elton John dancing with Kinky D. And just these sort of weird crap used to play out in my mind. Like I always say, I, whenever I had sailors on the show, which we have for some bizarre reason, they'd always have a bucket on their foot because Malcolm and Wise did a dance routine where the sailors had a bucket on their foot. So in my mind, sailors always equal bucket on the foot. And so we used to just do that stuff. And then the, the viewers get in on it and they go, I love this. Yeah. It's, it, they felt part of it. And, and we could just try any and old Probably, crap in fairness, because most viewers were hungover on a Saturday morning. And it was that thing that you used to just lie on the couch for most of the morning because it was hours long yeah. and just like snuggling with the duvet when just, you were students. That's what, that's what I remember anyway. I think, I, well, I can't tell you the amount of women who come up to me and say, I didn't like football, but I always watch soccer because he just giggled. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, this journalist I was talking to yesterday writes about football, said... I always used to watch soccer, but I couldn't work out whether it was a football show or a music show or what it was. And I said, I don't really know what it was in the end. It was yeah. just it was just a show of culture. One of my favourite things we did was uh, every year we would do the, when the clocks went forward or the clocks went back, the three guys would come out nude. Do you remember? No. And they'd go, would you like a coffee? They were the naturists and, they, and people... Oh, oh, yeah. And people love that, yeah. and they like, and still every time the clocks go forward, the clocks go back, people tweet me with, "Would you like a coffee?" And they, the boys used to come out, and this is what was great about it: they'd come out and they were naked, right? There was no, they were naked. There was no pants or anything, and they had, they had their um, oh. thermos flask. It was what's in that thermos flask? It keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. What's in it? Two cups of coffee and a choco. That was the gag every time. But and then one time they'd go, "Oh, we've taken a picture." And the, the joke was that, see, it was always trying to push the boundaries. As you can see, that's me there. You can see front bottom, right, which is a, obviously a, a joke. And then finish, turn around, show me this Polaroid picture. And he's basically naked in the picture. And I'm looking at him naked. And I just lose it on the show. It's, and that was what we were trying to do, just push, it, push all yeah. the boundaries. But just talking about it now, you say miss it. I miss that so much. Oh, that, yeah, I can see that. that Sitting around with the guys just saying what we can do to have fun yeah, on the show. Yeah. And literally when that show started to the end of it, Helen, myself, Fernas, uh, Sheep had a lot. We were just having fun. Yeah. So much fun. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah. going what can we do how much what can we do to have a laugh on this show but then in fairness the, the two big shows that you've done since something for the weekend and sunday brunch you do have a lot of fun on those as well you do seem to have a pretty free reign as to what i mean obviously not to the same extent as soccer am but you still can you know that you breathe on the show you can really relax and be yourself and talk and it's not, it doesn't feel as structured as perhaps some other TV. Well, two reasons that. Once it's live, I can do what I want. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> but I've always said that. It's like I go, I sit there with the producer going, yeah, me, I'll do that, I'll do that. And yeah. it's live. And I'm like, right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> do, good luck do I Do, do yeah. what I want. But the, the other thing is I'm not a very good pre- presenter. I'm, I'm a good person to go on TV and mess about and have a laugh, but I haven't got those amazing skills. So you've find that it's funny because when I first started doing something for the weekend it was the BBC so I'd say things like I'd get messages back going Tim's leaning it's like uh yeah it's like people lean it's like you can't do that and why is Tim doing this and why is he there was lots of people because I'm not a BBC presenter really Mm. in the great scheme of things and and I found that they would all do this lot of auto cue I used to sit reading the auto cue thinking I'm so bored so I'd just sub it down in my head and then just sub it and then the auto cue um uh, operator, operator yeah. wouldn't know where they were going or whatever and then eventually I just start going I'll just sub them all down I'll just ad lib them all because it just I, I want it to be as natural as mm. possible um, and, and I think it's because my skills aren't great I'm terrible at learning lines and for years I beat myself up about it mm. and I go look I've had a career for 22 years it hadn't been that bad the one thing I can't do is learn lines. So, you know, if you want to book me for something, get an auto cue, otherwise you book someone else. Or just make it up on the spot. Yeah. If you want me to ad lib, interview people, be interested, mm. have fun, you know, and, and talk to people, I can do that all day long. But if you want me to be a standard presenter, yeah. you know, I, I just it's just not what I'm very good at. And what about chemistry? What's your view on that? Because a lot of the shows that you've done have been based around chemistry. And I always think it's really interesting on TV because you never know what you're going to get. You put two presenters together and you could assume that they would get on well. There'd be this great rapport. But that is, that's really what sets the great shows apart from the good ones, isn't it? Is when the people in front of you clearly click with one another you can never guarantee it, can you? No. And, it, and it, I think it's just, it's either there or it's not, or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, so the, my two big relationships have been Simon Rimmer and, um, and Helen Chamberlain. And uh, with Helen, it, it was just such an amazing relationship. Whenever, again, sorry to keep talking about the podcast I did with her, but people... I'm definitely going to listen to oh, it. People, uh, everyone listening to this should listen to that as well. People did love it. Because so what it is, is Dear Love Joy yeah, with Helen Chamberlain. Helen Chamberlain. Okay, yeah. great. And, and, and she just, she says right at the beginning of it, it's so funny because she comes to the door, I don't sort of kiss her or anything, hello, because she's my mate and whatever. She just walks, she walks in, I go, I don't say hello, how are you? I just went, Helen, I've had this brilliant idea. And it just clicks straight back into it. I said, really? what we'll do for the podcast is we'll, and she talks about it on the thing, so she's just so mad that yeah. this is our relationship. Yeah. But I remember sitting on Soccer AM, and this is how close we'd become. We were like brother and sister on there. And we, I, she, 
we used to look after each other. TV was a bit rough back then. So people would come on and they would, as I say, everyone was pushing the boundaries. So people would go, I'm going to go on Soccer M and muck it up or have a go at Tim or have a go yeah. at Helen or do something like that. And Yeah, yeah do something yeah. like that. And we would always have each other's back. Right. I think TV's a friendlier place now. It was kind of a bit, I don't know, it sounds so bizarre the way I talk about it, but it was true. So you'd be sitting there and someone, and Helen, someone would say something about me and Helen would go, she would, don't talk to Batman like that. And live on the show, we would say, and, I, and someone would say something about Helen being a woman in football, and I'd go, well, she knows more about it than you would ever know. And we'd stick up for each yeah, other. And we yeah. always knew we had each other's yeah. back. And it's a beautiful feeling yeah. when you go into a three-hour TV show, Simon Rimmer and myself are the same. You know you've got each other's back mm. of things. If you lose it, you break down, you don't read the auto cue, or whatever happens, you know, you've got each other's back. And one day I'm sitting there with Helen, and we'd had a row. And we literally weren't speaking to each no other. Way. Did that um, happen often? Yeah, not often, but every now and then I'd really? go fall out with her. Yeah, and because we, we're like we were so close, we yeah. worked forty weeks a year, like you do with anyone. And we'd fallen out, and we're sitting on the show, and then we'd got to about part two, and I went to the, I just looked at the camera, went to the viewers. By the way, we've fallen out, we've had an argument, and I'm, we're not really talking to each other at the moment, so this could be an awkward show. And she started laughing, and I'm laughing. It was like it, it was that. I thought I might as well tell them because we're really, we're really quite off with each other. Oh, and it and it's and it's funny. I I do like that stuff. But you're did right. You, did you ever fancy each other? Was no. it ever, never a chance? Oh, of, yeah, she, that would have been an amazing relationship. She always fancied me, but yeah. I never. Whatever. <laughs> I'll give you the right to reply yeah, to we, that, we, Helen. We, we used to always have a joke that we used to always do a joke that was uh, Helen was um, always trying to kiss me at the Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> she just used to shake her head as I used to say that. But no, that was always the question I got asked. Always, you and Helen, if you were, um, you know, if you, uh, if you ever. Uh, <laughs> No, it was just a really sort of friendly relationship. I, I, it's funny because we don't speak to each other enough, but when we do, it's just we flick straight back in. They're so, the best friendships, aren't they? They are. And Simon Rimmer and myself, exactly the same. We, they try to pit us against each other constantly to mm. begin with. And, and I, I was on something for the weekend. Uh, there was always a, a, another presenter involved as well. And, and I used to say to him, do we don't want to go against each other, do we? That's like really horrible. Let's just be friends. You know, That's what we're like in real life. And we mm. just we just became really good friends very quickly and uh it's not what necessarily a producer would sit down and go right i want to get two men similar age to present a show together you wouldn't necessarily do that you'd go man and a woman or you'd you're quite similar people it always seems anyway are you yeah what happened was we were doing this show and then bbc it was something for the weekend it was winning at slight was the biggest thing on a sunday morning Mm. everyone loved it and then the bbc trust decided to axe all BBC Two daytime budget, and we come under that. And then everybody went, well, they were not going to get rid of something for the weekend, are they? Why would they get rid of their, one of their best shows on a weekend? You know, it rates, it wins, it's a lot. And it kept getting closer and closer and closer to the deadline. And we kept on saying to everyone, hold on, are they, is someone going to save this show? They, yeah. must, they must be saving this show. And then, uh, and then they weren't. And we found out that they weren't going to save the show, and we were so shocked. And then they went, you've got to move it to Channel 4. Well, we've got to move it. So we, ITV were interested in Channel 4, and Channel 4 came up with the money and everything else and said, let's move it. So we moved over to Channel 4, and as part of the deal, we had to change it significantly to make it so it didn't look like something for the weekend. Um, <laughs> Even so, though it was. <laughs> well, kind of. So we had to change the items. So one of the things they said is, we're just going to have you two, the two men, because you're the two main characters of the thing. And Simon and I went and said, we don't want it it doesn't work it's too men it's too weird and especially in the climate we need a woman and you know this sort of stuff and they went go with it please go with it it'll work and we were and we went 
well, we'll give it six months and then we need to get a woman in because it's just too weird. And it just clicked and it worked no and people seem, people seem to like it. But it happened really quickly, didn't it? You literally went from BBC to China. Wasn't it like even a matter of weeks? It was, it was the next week. The next week? We came off something for the weekend one week and the following week went on to Channel 4. So people are probably thinking, oh, I put the wrong channel on. Oh, no, they, they have jump channels in, yeah. in one week. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah, we didn't jump channels, though. We wanted to stay at the BBC. I love being on Channel 4 now, don't get me wrong. I love it. And they extended the show to three hours. It was an hour and a half. And so, uh, f- for me, that's bliss. The longer they give me, the better it is. We once did a four-hour show. Oh, it was a four or four-and-a-half-hour show because of the F1, because Channel 4 have the oh, yeah, F1 course, as well. Yeah. And because of they've mucked up the... the, the um, the timetable, what do you call that? The scheduling. Scheduling, yeah. They uh, said, could you do four? I think it was four or four and a half. And we did it and we had a half time after two hours. And it was just, it was great. We had two sets of guests, one in the beginning show and one in the, the two separate show. We, we pretty yeah. much made yeah, it two yeah. separate shows. Yeah, it was really good. Now, I want to ask you about social media because yeah. for me, you were one of the first people who seemed to really embrace Twitter. Yeah. And you, got, you had a massive following really quickly. What was it about that that kind of captured your imagination? I just really like the future, like going forward. I've always found it fascinating. Um, as, as you know, I podcast myself now and I'm trying to do stuff on YouTube. I, I see YouTube as a really exciting... I've got a new project starting on YouTube, actually, and I've got, I'm excited by that because it hasn't got any gatekeepers. Um, a thing about working on Soccer Amas, I didn't have any gatekeepers uh, because the bosses just let me get on with it. And then when you move to terrestrial TV, suddenly you've got layers above you who are mm. making decisions into the show. And I think I think maybe there's too many layers often in TV and you get rid of the creativity mm. of the of the talent and also the producer because it's too many people produce it, it gets watered down. What I love about YouTube and what I like about YouTubers and things is they're just doing whatever the hell they want. So I find that quite exciting. But I've always liked looking in at the future uh, the future. I just like looking at the new stuff which is happening, and Twitter um, just captured my imagination with the idea that you could do that. I did Facebook for a while, but it didn't seem to be as exciting. I like Instagram now. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing Snapchat. Um, maybe I should, but I just I quite like Instagram and Twitter. But I just quite like looking at all mm-hmm. these things. I'm not I'm not anti things moving on. Mm-hmm. I quite like them, and I quite like evolving. And um, to jump to the personal, you are a father of three daughters. Yeah. What is it like? And the, the twins are, as you say, teenagers now, which yeah. is unbelievable to me because I remember you coming on Ready Steady Cook with yeah. two newborn babies and you were a guest on it and I was a runner on the show. Yeah, I, was and gonna, I, I went up against it. Helen Chamberlain and I, I, and I won. <laughs> if you ever interview her, can you remind her that yeah. I won that? <laughs> so, I can't remember what you cooked, but that Pizza. was enough. Pizza? Yeah. Oh, James right. Martin, I think. Yeah, um, but teenage girls and a five-year-old daughter, what is it like managing three girls? Uh, the five-year-old's easy. The teenagers are not so much. Um, they've got their own, they're adults now, aren't they? They're nearly 17, so oh, they've got God. their own lives and they're doing their own things. A frustration sitting and watching their phones constantly, stealing their lives. Uh, I'm a better father for the five-year-old. In what sense? I'm just calm. And laid back, whereas you're just more mature now than yeah, you were 17 years ago. Yeah, when I was 17 years ago, that the, the, they had a slightly more uptight dad, and you know, I was determined that they were going to be well educated and well read, and all this. Uh, do this, do this with. And I was just a more uptight person. Yeah. So with Jamie the other day, that's my little one. She she dropped a, a dish and smashed it, and she came with it 
to me with it in her hand, something I've broken this. I went, oh, don't worry about it. Whereas the twins, I'd have gone, what? <laughs> I know I'd have been a bit more uptight. Um, so I think I'm a better father now, much better. Much, much how much better. time do you spend with them? Because you're not with either of the mums anymore. Is the relationship with their mums good? Are you on good terms? How's I, with, that with, well, with the, with, we've just got like, a court order in place, so you, I get to spend time with um, uh, three three nights with the little one, and then the big ones. They just do what the hell they want now. So, so they're just out with their friends and mm. doing that stuff, and they they come by when they want. I always had the twins as well when they were younger. They were fifty fifty with them as well. Oh, okay. I just always thought it was nice to. I've always wanted to be a parent. I've been one of these strange people who's always been broody. I don't know why. I was like from the age of early 20s. I was like, I want children. I just want children. And um, so it was, it was just lovely to get them. It's quite nice being a parent, isn't it? Oh, my God. Best thing in the world. But I can imagine it being quite hard at times if you're on your own with twins. Don't That's know any different. I miss it now. I really miss. Do you not? Do you, I miss changing nappies? You still changing nappies? No, mine are no. out of nappies now. Yeah, yeah. I no, miss we're good. That. Yeah. Really oh, nice. listen, I, I went to see my mate the other day, and she's got a ten-day-old, and I just got so my mm. ovaries did a few flips. So I was like, oh god, should we go for number three? But no. John Lloyd on. Um, John, do you know John Lloyd? who's a famous producer who worked on um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, uh, he wrote QI. That's his idea. Oh, yeah. Uh, have I got news for you and um, not nine o'clock news they're all his things and um, he came on my podcast and I asked him for some advice and he said if you're a parent when your kids are young whatever they ask you to do go yeah um, and so you say they say do you want to come and do some drawing they go yes and if you do that whatever they ask you can we do this go yes you know if that involves you and them doing something together I'm not yeah. saying can I watch TV or eat chocolate but you know can, yeah. and, uh, can we do this daddy yes do it and he goes if you do it for long enough they stop asking all they want to know is that you're always there for them oh. and I've tried it with my five year old and it works an absolute dream just oh. every time they say anything just go yeah I'll do that with you it just takes a little bit of effort and yeah. his advice is absolutely spot on it's really good you know, that is a really really good point because the other day um my son has gone went for a bit of a phase he's just turned four went through a bit of a phase of saying i don't like you mummy i like daddy it's all about daddy 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 and it actually genuinely started hurting mm-hmm. i was going i'm not going to take it personally i know kids do this yeah but i was kind of like oh always a bit gutted my husband was like, stop trying so hard because you were smothering kisses and hugs. And he's a bit like, look, let me be cool with my dad. <laughs> but anyway, the other day, uh, he turned around to me and he said, Mummy, I don't want to go to nursery today. I said, okay. He said, I'd like to come to your meetings with you. <laughs> and I went, fuck it, come. Did you? So I took him and it was brilliant. So his oh, sister wow. went to nursery. He then felt really special. And I realised what I was doing because I'm really close to his sister and she's so affectionate. She's like me. He's like his dad. I'm, we're both really affectionate, the girls. Yeah. And the dads are a bit too cool for school. They don't kiss as much. But then he came out with me and we bonded. And he came to all my meetings. Oh, and he took his little plastic laptop and opened it on the oh, table. Brilliant. Pretended to have a cup of tea. And he just sat there. No one minded. Honestly, I don't think people mind. No. I mean, he didn't make a fuss or a noise. And at the end of the day, he went, Mummy, that was so cool. Yeah, that's good. And it was so nice. And then he stopped saying, Mummy, I hate you. We're we're moving into a world finally where families are becoming as important as work. It's taken a long time. And I still, still, again, sorry to 
quotes keep quoting my podcast but I interviewed Harriet Harman about it and oh, she because they were the, she was one of the first politicians to take a baby into parliament yeah. her book is amazing I, I, I thoroughly recommend reading it okay. she, she did so much for the equality movement and for women in workplace and she was one of the pioneers of getting the women into do you remember, do you remember the they got a hundred women MPs into yeah. the um, Tony Blair uh, government sadly the headline was Blair's babes oh, and they lined them I know oh, terrible and they lined it all up but but I was talking about uh, I'm interested in parenting and working because mm-hmm. it is a juggle yeah, yeah. and it's something that men and women should be doing together yeah. um, with the children and uh, and I did say to her you know it's tough because we still live in this world where work is seen as the most important thing because mm-hmm. it provides the money for the family and mm-hmm. at some stage employers have to start going Right, we need to give the employees chance to do the school run and the chance to look yeah. after their children yeah. and stuff like that. So, and we're moving towards that, I think, now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing. I think families are important. I am quite nervous because one of the Grand Prix falls on Wilf's first day at school oh. in September. So I'm hoping for any of the execs at Sky listening to this <laughs> that they don't mind if I duck out of one of the days of the Italian Grand Prix. Because for me... I will never look back in 15, 20, 30 years' time yeah. and say, I was at that Grand Prix. I'll look back and say, I wasn't at my son's first day at school. Yeah. That's got to be the most important thing, hasn't it? Definitely. But it's a, it's a constant juggle. It's constant guilt and wondering if you're doing the right thing. Where isn't is that? It? Is that Monza? Yeah. I've do you want to do it there. for me? No. Go on, be pit lane well, reporter for the day. I know nothing about it. Yeah, don't worry. Where's the petrol? You girl? probably know more than me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I worked it a few years ago doing some swag type stuff, merch. There you go. And um, I found the Grand Prix fascinating. The, yeah. the 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 split in the fans, the ones who are in the VIP, especially yeah. in Italy, yeah. sort of mafia looking and, yeah. gla- and all the glamour in there. And then and then round the outsides, you just got these sort of they call them petrol heads, right? Well, they call them tifosi over there because they are crazy dedicated fans that will just go to the end of the earth for Ferrari. And that th- yeah, they are. They're like no one else over in Italy. They're crazy people, but amazing. Like, it's intoxicating. It's amazing to be around them. It's the thing which has always confused me about F1. I don't know what I'm supporting. Am I supporting the car or the driver? No, no, no. It's a good point. It's a good point. And it's both. You know, you get families who want... Someone supports Ferrari. Someone else supports Lewis Hamilton. And someone else will support Lewis Hamilton plus McLaren or plus William. You know what I mean? So you can have... All sorts of split loyalties across the grid. And, you, you know... But I understand that Britain's really up there with all the manufacturing of the cars oh yeah 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 so you know I'm I'm always fascinated by it because I always think maybe I don't know enough about it but they seem to feature everything about Hamilton or Jensen Button or whoever's in the cars and I always think Shouldn't we be interviewing the mechanics a lot more and get? Oh, we um, do that as well. Know, Maybe but, you and I can do a podcast sh- about that. But shouldn't we be building building them in the press as well? So, oh, yeah, uh, no, no, but do you no, think I they are? I totally, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But only if you're they an F one fan, because I don't know that none of them are household names to me. No, like the brands are. We'll, win, we'll win you over. Don't worry about that. The, the, the drivers, yeah. Um, just to finish up, um, it's been lovely talking. Could go on for hours. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give your, your kids growing up? Like, obviously, there's a big age gap between um, the twins and your youngest. Um, but And you say you've changed a lot over those years. Mm. Um, I want to know what keeps you awake at night now, uh, if anything. I mean, perhaps you've kind of grown out of any of that anxiety and stress. But, but what kind of ticks over in your mind about the world that we live in? And, and therefore, what advice would you give the girls? 
Well, the advice that I have given my girls so far is they don't care what the hell you do with your life as long as it's your decision. Because I've hardly been a saint and I've made some terrible decisions in my life, but they've always been my decision. Um, and a few times that I've let people influence me, I've hated myself for it. And that's, I think that's really important that you go to bed every night and go, I've made that decision and it's my decision. Mm-hmm. And, and they hated this conversation, but I did have it, whether it be sex, drugs, tattoos, whatever they're going to do, mm-hmm. as long as it's their decision then I'll agree with it. I'll say that's fine. But don't get influenced by external people. Stay strong with your own um, convictions. And then as for what makes me anxious at the moment, um, I I don't know if you know, but I suffered quite a lot from mental health issues and stuff I don't talk about it too I talk about loads on my podcast by the way loads but not in real life um, real life but because you know just I don't know I sometimes think people think what have you got to be depressed about you're on TV and do all that sort of stuff but but I I spent a lot of time reading and um, I decided not to take drugs and that's why I started my podcast because I wanted to learn didn't want to take antidepressants no so I've done it all through reading learning Mm. and examining and it all happened that if you are depressed what some man said to me once um, by the way I know there's chemical imbalance depression Mm. and I'm not talking about that but I don't well it is all sort of hand in hand but there is obviously people who have you know genuine chemical imbalances which need Mm. drugs Mm. but for someone like me I met this man once who said to me it was a shrink and he said to me um, very different from anyone else I'd ever met and he said depression's a good thing I was like whoa what and he said and he said to me um, it means it means there's something wrong with your life it's not a bad thing it just means you need to change your life you need to change your thought process you need to change what you're doing now go away and analyse absolutely everything and I'll help you go on this little journey to analyse everything and work out what the things are that are broken about your life and oh. and, and that's when I started getting really heavily into reading and I, I read a lot of I'm not a Buddhist but I read a lot of Buddhism um, quite like the idea of non-attachment and some of the other aspects from it and I quite like mindfulness. I've done a lot of that, and um, I think it's a, it's an exciting thing to do to to uh, examine everything that mm. you've learned from when you're a child and it's mm. been put in your head because you're going to put rubbish in your children's head, you know. Mm. And some stage, yeah, well, we all do it, and I've done it to my children. I spend a lot of time saying to my kids, by the way, everything I've told you, question because it's probably nonsense. Mm. Don't sit there thinking I know because I don't know the answers to any of it. Question everything and get on with your life and make mm. sure you don't get settled in strange ways. So yeah, so I've been, I've enjoyed doing that, and so I am still anxious because I mm. still think about things and stuff still gives me anxiety. I'm sitting with Simon at the um, NTA Awards where I met you last mm. time. Mm. And I'm sitting there saying, and I, I'm aware of it now. And I said, I've got, I said, I've got real anxiety here. And he said, why? And I said, because I know everybody in this room. I've talked to everybody in this room. Mm. I know everybody in this room. And I feel like I should be going around going, hi, 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 hi to everyone. And yet I don't have enough time and I don't want to do any of it. I'm watching everybody take pictures. And I'm going, should I be taking pictures with everybody? And I just got yeah. anxiety. So I decided just to not talk to anyone or take any pictures unless it sort of people naturally happened, naturally yeah. happened. Yeah. 
and I'd sort of managed to relax myself. And, and I, yeah, it, it is because before I'd never realised I had that. So when I bumped into you, it's like, oh, there's a friendly face, yeah. Natalie, and we'll have a chat. So we had a chat. And yeah. it's like, that's what I did all night. And it may not okay. But did you watch any of those celebrities walking around just constantly going, selfie, selfie, selfie? Yeah. I mean, some yeah. of their Instagram things afterwards, it was incredible how yeah. many photos they'd taken. Yeah. I mean, we did, I had a moment with Denise Van Outen, who actually is going to come on this podcast next week. Um, well, we had a moment sort of stepping back and going, bloody hell, what's all this about? This is all a bit... Yeah. It felt narcissistic and it felt... Yeah. And then there's elements to it that you, that kind of draw you in and are addictive and are quite, you know, um, compelling, but other bits of it like, so people, why are we here? So people worry, wonder why so many celebrities are, uh, sort of suffer from mental health issues yeah. and depression and stuff. And, and I tell you what, because a lot of other people do in other walks of life, but they do, because we're thrown into this very false world yeah. a strange world it's yeah. hard I think to us to compute it all yeah. I presented um, Sunday brunch with Denise Van Alton yeah. she's so brilliant she's brilliant she's, she? so, she's so good I have so much fun yeah. I mean that was one you know if, if someone had said oh you've got to present another 30 shows with her I'd be like brilliant yeah, she's just yeah. I laugh yeah. from the, she's one who understands the way I like to broadcast yeah. switch on the cameras just have some fun because yeah. you know yeah. it's not she's real very life natural at that, oh she's yeah. brilliant and it is only telly at the end of the day she's so much fun yeah, yeah. so say hello to her for me of course and um and the depression now is this a work in progress then is this always something will that, be right okay so it's not something where there's a finite goal that you go i have to get to this point in order to feel uh in some way cured of it you just you just manage it do you i could spend a good another hour talking yeah, to you about this because i because I, I know so much about it all i will say is that sometimes i it, it hits me now but I'm really aware of it mm. and I watch it and now I'm intrigued by it. So rather than being, um, I still feel, it still hurts, it's still dark, but I can now, I've, I've done enough, oh, I sound such an idiot, don't I? But I've done enough work on myself that I can now watch it happen. And so, so it's, things happen, little reality shifts happen and things change and I, I can watch myself go into it so I can come out of it quite quickly right. because I'm watching it happen and so you almost become your own project you're almost watching in on yourself yeah That's when I'm but when I'm doing it when I'm in it I still it's still horrible yeah. but it's I know there's going to be an end to it all so so it's interesting it doesn't happen for as long and it doesn't happen as much um and I feel more alive than I ever have done which is kind of interesting wow. but again I could talk for hours on on that maybe we should do another podcast about it no but it is amazing (coughs) I touched on it with Michael Carrick about his depression after the Champions League final and he said god I just feel guilty even sort of classifying it as depression because look at me I'm a very wealthy footballer but all I know is I spiralled for two years and really struggled didn't want to tell anyone that I was feeling the way I was feeling Um, and so I think the crucial thing for this for anyone listening is that it is so deeply personal isn't it and you can't say a one-size-fits-all approach for it because it it means it feels like a bit of an umbrella term doesn't it mental health issues yes it does yeah and it can cover anything Mm. um and and i'm sure pretty much everyone suffers with something at some point in their lives and sport is a terrible thing for it because um like entertainment and sports stuff like that because you get defined by your job so Mm. often i remember johnny wilkinson talking about Mm winning the world cup and then feeling terrible mm. about it you know it's, and i think it happens so often and mm. so regularly to all these guys i when you meet the footballers and rugby players and everything who've retired 
oh, they go through a really bad time, mm. you know. It's mm. the, Redefining, yeah. Yes, they've got to redefine their lives, and their lives are over, and they'll never be as big as they were. Yeah. And yet, it's all irrelevant. When you're on your deathbed, yeah. it doesn't matter, right. you know. So, but but it's just people trying to come to terms with it all. Um, and so it's a bit, it's a big subject, but I I think reading a lot on it, and uh, I I got stuck into reading about the science of it all as well. So, because there's a lot of mumbo jumbo well, stuff. From a physiological point yeah. of view, yeah. Okay. What's going on in your head? Yeah, that's good. So I do that as well. So okay. I spend a lot of time learning about what happened to me when I was a child, as uh-huh. in the the things which and how my brain has developed. Because I found that fascinating. I thought if I can understand that as well, then I can understand. Um, I don't. I, just so people know, I spent. I did spend quite a lot of time in bed, you know, without leaving. But I still got up and did my shows all the time. But that's Shit. that. That's where I'd got to very dark moments and, and and stuff like that but I'm as I say I don't want to go on TV and stuff constantly talking about it and, no, and but stuff do you know what 15-20 minutes an hour on a podcast is nothing in the whole scheme of things and if it does help anyone listening mm. then it's got to be worth it hasn't it and if it helps you again there's, a, there's no shame in it and it's um, what was really that... weird was when I, when I first got one of my uh, one of my episodes happened on something for the weekend and I was in a really bad way I mean really really bad what, way what was it what were the symptoms just, anxiety yeah just it's just really darkness you can't function it, uh, your body hurts I mean there is a physical pain side to pain in depression but it's it's you know you haven't burnt yourself or stabbed yourself but you just yeah. ache and you're you don't want to move and nothing you can't listen to music you can't watch tv you can't read nothing nothing makes any sense everything's dark and everything's horrible and it's and there's this real darkness and i used to go and do some sunday um something for the weekend and simon used to say to me um he'd go mate we've only got half an hour just keep in there keep in because he'd see me the way I was it was really but it was really sweet well, he would see it on air he'd I, see I told him but I didn't tell anyone else because literally 10 years ago 11 years ago I think if I told people they might have gone get rid of him now if I went in and said it they would everyone would be fine I yeah, think it's moved so much in yeah, 10 which is amazing 10 11 yeah. years yeah. yeah but I think it's such a complex issue that it's hard for when people it, it's I I'm reluctant to talk. I, you know, if anyone wants to my podcast or email me, I'll talk to them about mm. it. But just to go blanket, do television and go, hey, I've got depression, mm. everyone. It's, I found that hard because I think mm. there's so many different sides to it. Yeah. But the, as I say, going back to when one person said to me, depression's a good thing, when I managed to hang on something positive about it, right. it meant it's you need to change it. Yeah. You know, you've got a bad yeah. arm, do something to fix it. You've got a right. bad head, do something yeah. to fix yeah. it. And I just thought, okay, I can I can work with that. Yeah, so that's it's interesting. Not, so that's what worked for you. That's yeah. yeah, because that is that's like your alarm bell ringing, saying, yeah. change so, something in so your life. The, yeah. So the positive of it is, before depression, I don't think I was really living. Now I feel more alive than ever. So what depression had done to me is going, mate, we're not living here. Come on, you know, if he's, if, if depression's my little friend, he's going, yeah. come on, let's change it all so that we're happy and we're living. So I've got to the other end of it and I actually feel more alive than I've ever felt. More relaxed with my children, as I've said. You know, I just feel more relaxed about everything. The other day someone was going, um, uh, there was something horrible happened to me and I was just, ah, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Just took it in your stride. But that doesn't mean yeah. I'm... That doesn't mean I'm 100% cured, but right. at the moment I'm taking stuff in my stride where I used to spend the whole time, oh, poor me, oh, me, oh, why aren't I getting the breaks? Why aren't I having this? Why aren't I having that? And I, this just constant self-loathing that I had and anxiety. It's ridiculous. 
God, well, look, I'm so happy that you that you are out the other side and you can see it for what it is. Yeah. Uh, will you do me a favour? Can I come back maybe in a couple of months when things are quiet, quieter again and just do another podcast about it? Yeah, sure. Because I'd love to. Because yeah. I feel like we're just tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Just towards the end of this podcast, we're starting to talk about something really meaty and it's really quite interesting. Deep. I'm quite deep about it. Though. I love it. If, yeah, if, if you want to do it, I'll do it, but it's very deep. Yeah, no, yeah. I'll be ready for that. Okay. That'd be great. Listen, thank you for your time today. It's lovely to see you and it's been great chatting. Good old trip down memory lane with yeah. Soccer AM for a start. Yeah. Loved it, so thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.